0: i'm amanda and i'm mike And this, this is
1: saturday, saturday morning, morning cereal.
0: cereal hey everyone and welcome to another episode of saturday morning cereal i'm amanda here with mike and today it actually it is spooky season guys I am so ready to watch horror movies this whole month because that's just me, and I love the fall, and I just, I, I love this time of year. So there was a movie that came out last weekend, and I actually saw the preview for this when we saw Beast, and it was Barbarian. And I love Bill Skarsgård. I'm a big fan of his work and, as Pennywise, and I've seen a couple other things he's in. Um, and he plays Keith? I believe in Barbarian and you know so of course the movie drew me in and also you have some knockout producers and directors from it the ring the grudge I mean you know all blockbuster horror films and when you put that all together I'm 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 in right so Barbarian opened on opening weekend with 10 million in the box office right now it stands at 23 million so that's pretty impressive and I mean I didn't know what I was getting myself into (laughs) So I thought Bill Skarsgård character was like the villain and it was going to be all this stuff. Well, anyway, it wasn't. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's got really good ratings on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes as well. So a lot of people enjoyed it. I thought it was a little choppy story wise. Uh, But overall, I feel like it was solid. I knew where they were going. Mike, you had a lot of thoughts on this movie.
1: I really did find this movie serviceable like you i did walk into this movie completely blind only having seen that first teaser and it's the best way to see a movie is to go on a opening night on friday have no idea what the movie's about especially with horror movies because you really don't know it adds to the effect of like what is really haunting this place or terrorizing this place and it was it's a it's a decent movie
0: yeah. And they instill in you, like, Airbnb, making sure, like, you know exactly where you're at. Like, a lot of that stuff that the the main character Tess encountered, I'm like, nope. Because she, as soon as like, you know, Bill Skarsgård, a guy, opens the house to your Airbnb, as a woman, I'm, I'd be like, no, no thank you. <laughs> and I would just bolt out. And then in the morning, she wakes up and she realizes the neighborhood is all run down and this is the only nice house on the block. Yeah, that's another red flag. I would have been like, nope. Uh, Georgina Campbell plays Tess. I thought she did pretty well. Bill Skarsgård is Keith. And then we have Justin Long as AJ. So there was kind of, like, two storylines going on. Uh, Like, one at the beginning, right, between Tess and Keith. And then that all came to light when when the barbarian villain is revealed. And then AJ's story is something else, right? But they all connect. And (laughs) I kind of thought it was interesting how Justin Long came back into this horror movie like genre because i know him from jeepers creepers and that was my first horror movie i have ever seen and i was like what 11 12 at the time jeepers creepers scared the crap out of me and my girlfriends at the time we were like in sixth grade we thought we were cool you know and i just remember at the end of jeepers creepers he takes out his eyes that was like that 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 haunts me like the other night i Mike can attest to this I was sitting on the couch and I was like okay I'm gonna look up just an image of the end of Jeepers Creepers just to like overcome my fear (laughs) and I think is now it's kind of stupid but anyway um and Justin Long gets his eyes taken out in this movie (laughs) so I thought it was a funny full circle but Mike story-wise you said that you feel like we should have had just AJ's story and not like Tess and Keith or what did you say?
1: um aj's storyline plays deeply into like what's going on with the barbarian villain itself and tess tess's story is kind of a different uh exemplification of that and it's it's from a woman's perspective and Keith plays into that as well but she did she didn't feel as as like deep-rooted into the the barbarian versus people conflict as aj did um and she makes a lot of stupid decisions she mm-hmm. the, the suspension of disbelief that this movie asks you to have is huge and it just it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper and it gets more ridiculous and there's a lot of interesting story and questions that i had watch after i finished this movie And I wanted more on that, Mm and I kind of wanted less of this, you know, this woman goes to this Airbnb and she discovers that it's more than it seems. I felt like the story, the story before the story and the story underneath the story was way more interesting to me.
0: I feel like, and it was funny, because Bill Skarsgård's character Keith had like a 20 minute, you know, rant about how he didn't want to open the wine bottle without her seeing it because, you know, he, she didn't want, or he probably didn't want her to think that he drugged the wine, whatever. And I'm like, that kind of, I mean, yeah, that's funny. And there were some really funny moments in this movie. And I do like some humor thrown into my horror movies. So, you know, A plus on that, especially like it was such a millennial joke. Like, <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. um But yeah, like, I feel like a lot of things were, we could have dialed it down a little bit and added more story, like especially the backstory to the woman who is the barbarian and how we later find out her dad lives down there as well and all the horrible, terrible things that this guy did. We did get a flashback with the dad. His name was Frank. And we kind of see him as a stalker, stalking this woman. And then this um, homeless man that lives in the neighborhood, he's kind of like, he warns Tess about, you know, the house. Don't go in the house. And she thinks he, you know, he's just some crazy guy, right? But yeah, it, it was just, I wanted more. Like when he started telling the story to Keith, or I'm sorry, Tess and AJ, I was like, okay. But then like he gets killed. I'm like, you know, I wanted to know more.
1: Yeah, I mean. A lot a lot of these strings um but but let's let's talk about less about the story and let's talk about the execution of these concepts that it teases so amanda what did you think about these sets because these sets for me were awesome because there's there is a flashback sequence and then there is this sequence set in present day and the way that they kind of mirror each other and how this one house that she's staying in is is perfectly uh, undisturbed, and then the rest of the neighborhood is gross and grotesque and mm-hmm. run down and dilapidated in the f- in the present, but then we go to this flashback, and there's green yards all over the place, there's people running around, playing with their kids, there's nice cars, and this guy this guy will walk up to this other person and say, oh man, this neighborhood's really going down the crapper. He's <laughs> like, oh, that's a really interesting way to frame the Detroit water crisis.
0: <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah, I, I honestly really liked how at the beginning of the movie she comes to the this Airbnb in the dark so she doesn't know what the neighborhood looks like. And then when she goes outside the next morning and she just sees the rundown neighborhood, it's like, whoa, you know, I didn't see that coming. It's just this really nice house. And then the the house never changes, right? And it's pretty cool. Well, un- one thing I really thought was cool with the house was you know, it's just a modest ranch house what what would you say like two bed, one bath, maybe three bed, one bath downstairs, but then it's like it just keeps going downstairs and then there's this like long pathway and I personally think that the barbarian uses all the rundown houses to scout. I mean, I don't know, that but you know, she could just come back up to any of those ruined houses from underground. And Mike, you had a couple favorite camera moments, right?
1: Oh, there's this really great shot in the, just uh, two shots in the mo- in the movie, where uh, a character is running through a dark tunnel with a flashlight, and uh, Filmmaking 101 will talk about the 180 degree rule and how once you establish where the camera is, you can't reverse on that on that setup you can't go to the other side of that person and shoot them from the front it's called the 180 degree roll so if you're shooting behind someone and they're walking through a tunnel you can't ever jump in front of them and show them from the front so what happened was this character's flashlight goes out for just a second and they match cut the flashlight from the back and the front and they they edited it together and it was really seamless it was a really cool way to kind of break the 180 degree rule and uh show a new uh camera setup
0: Mm -hmm. yeah though a lot of things in this movie were very disturbing and i know mike you see with me it doesn't really bother me a lot i i can do monsters and but it's gore it's like you know people piercing like skin or like getting their eyeballs gouged out and all this stuff that that's what makes me like squeamish but like this kind of stuff I don't know Mike you thought it was pretty (laughs) you can't get over this one part but overall I thought it was crafty this whole movie I mean I I really appreciated the originality of it and the ending was pretty great (laughs) so yeah, what Yeah. You I think? mean,
1: the ending and the storyline, I mean, the plot and the story end at the same time, so yeah. you kind of just, okay, that's it, mm-hmm. so move on, but yeah, I mean, the film really was a big, a lot of red herrings throughout this film, as you mentioned, Keith, played by Bill Sarsgaard, you know, known for his chilling performances, Pennywise, and he's kind of just in this movie for basically the first act, and then as soon as the first act ends and we go into the second act we completely have this tonal shift into this Mm -hmm. more like zany i I wouldn't say zany but sillier more Mm -hmm. lighthearted kind of comedy that you would expect from something like scream or yeah a a movie with a little bit more self-awareness a lot of suspension disbelief as i said but yeah it it did its purpose it was we were disturbed scared startled disgusted mostly Mm -hmm. disgusted mostly disgusted entertained overall entertained yeah and we were sucked in like Mm -hmm. the story just gets deeper and deeper and deeper as the movie goes on and the gore i don't feel it was necessary to have all that gore in the movie Mm -hmm. and have it be as graphic as it was i could have done without it gore doesn't bother me whatever like i've seen some of that stuff in i'm not faint around blood or anything but yeah, the core, unnecessary. Amanda, what do you think?
0: I agree. I was really kind of hoping for more of a, you know, it's, uh, it's ring, it did have a lot of nods to the ring with like videotapes and cameras and all that stuff. The grudge, uh, just the monster or the barbarian, just um, it, there's the way she moved and every, you know, all that. Like you can tell there was nods to that and then it underground lures you in that kind of stuff so but you know yeah the gore especially at the end yeah but it wasn't as bad as the fly that you made me watch last night
1: yeah i i made amanda sit down and watch the fly which was directed by david grodenberg and he's the og he's kind of like the jim henson of like gore and yeah amanda was not a fan well you appreciated the movie, right?
0: I did. Yeah, it had a really good story, and I liked where it went and everything. But <laughs> oh man! But Jeff Goldblum, you know, I I do love him. But like when his face started peeling off and he lost his ear and stuff. Oh my god! No, it was the fingernails that got me.
1: Yeah, the fingernails and the finger plus. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that that movie uses gore in like the perfect way mm-hmm. because. The gore isn't kind of, like, sudden, like, you know, a character getting their eyes popped off or, mm-hmm. or you know, like, someone getting their head chopped off. It's very slow and it's very decaying in the fact of how it's used. And it's kind of like a sickness. And you just see this, these gory things happen and they're slow. And you get time to, like, take them in and, and feel them and what they resonate with with the story. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how you should use gore in a movie. Yeah. It added to everything in the movie, the gore.
0: I see what you're saying. I really do. But as Bar- someone that's squeamish, I don't do people's bodily fluids and stuff. It's just <laughs> not for me.
1: Barbarian didn't didn't have that type of reserve when it came to gore. Yeah. And body fluids.
0: <laughs> I know you I know you don't really do the, like possession movies and stuff like that. Like that those are the movies I tend to go towards. Uh, but like I said, there's nothing like James Wan, Insidious, and The Conjuring. Like, those horror films for me are just chef's kiss. (laughs) So, speaking of, like, gory and whatever, I have started watching Dahmer on Netflix. I'm on episode three now, and that's trippy. I remember I learned about Jeffrey Dahmer in an interesting way. I used to work at a pharmacy... (laughs) And on one Saturday morning, we were listening to Dark Horse by Katy Perry, and there's a line, like, she eat your heart out like Jeffrey Dahmer, and my boss was like, why is he addressing Jeffrey Dahmer in the song? And I'm like, who's Jeffrey Dahmer? And I looked it up, and oh my god. <laughs> so when I found out they are making this, like, docuseries, I'm like, okay, because I'm all about true crime and whatever, and... Unfortunately, this falls into true crime, but it's really gruesome and it's kind of heavy so far, so I'm kind of taking the show in chunks. (laughs) So I'll let you all know when I finish the series what I thought overall, but moving forward here, Mike and I watched Elvis over the weekend, and I remember seeing the trailer for this in theaters. And it looked really exciting. It looked really colorful. And as someone who is not familiar with Elvis Presley too much, I mean, I know his music, but I never thought to sit down and research him. This movie was pretty good in delivering some history on him. I had no idea he was in the armed forces. It, I thought it was a solid film. Tom Hanks plays Cor- is Colonel Tom Parker. And <laughs> I was, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of iffy on his performance. I mean, I love Tom Hanks. Again, who doesn't? But him as a villain was just, I, I think for me, it was just weird seeing him in just such a darker role than what I'm used to. What do you think, Mike?
1: Uh, well, we actually, after the movie ended, we looked up some uh, kind of like interviews of Elvis and of uh, Tom Parker and. Right? The accent that Tom Hanks uses and the mannerisms in which he speaks is nothing like how the real Tom Parker sounds. So that kind of threw me off that that they would make that choice. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say he was a villain, but he was a pretty shady dude.
0: Yeah. And I thought this movie was going to follow him from being a small child all the way up to his death. But it was mostly, it was told in the perspective of Tom Parker, and it's mostly a documentary about their relationship. Would you agree with that, Mike?
1: It really didn't seem to have a singular focus except on the relationship between Tom and Elvis. Like, his wife is there, and then all these other people he meets throughout Hollywood and the music industry are there, and there's so many characters that, yeah, it it jumps around a lot. And... What I really appreciate about when uh, this movie we watched earlier this year called Tick-Tick Boom, with uh, Andrew Garfield playing Jonathan Larson, I want to say, is that it focused singularly on like one era of that uh, person's life in a biopic, and that for me was a huge strong suit for that movie, and I think all other biopics could learn something from it, because this movie has so many characters it has so many developing relationships it's got to take you from when elvis was inspired by uh music and and all the way up until his death after his death like it just jumps around so much and it's hard to follow Mm -hmm. all of the cinematography in the movie it's great the concert scenes are great but there's always like some obstruction in the way of like what you're trying to watch or there's a lot of background noise like it's very hard to concentrate and follow on the emotional stunner of this movie
0: yeah it was extremely choppy and long it was um, it's almost a three-hour movie so i remember us we had to pause it for a second and <laughs> i looked up mike you were like there's still two hours left <laughs> but i really enjoyed the music i like how they incorporated elvis's old music into something modern and we also had like Megan Stallion, I think. I don't know if it was her or not, but... uh, I mean, like, music, like, modern edge to it. Um, I actually downloaded the soundtrack. I love Casey Musgraves' Can't Help Falling In Love With You version, so that was pretty good. Um, But, yeah, it was just... It was so long. It was so choppy. But, again, uh, as someone who doesn't know much about Elvis, I thought it was a really good introduction to his life, and it made me research him a little bit after the film. So that was really cool. And at the end, we also saw some clips of him like you know, it was really sad in his last performance. He could barely stand. So just little things like that, but overall as a story, it was just long, it was choppy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: when, it, when it had made like a better story if they had decided that, you know, we're going to make three Elvis movies. Or we're going to make a whole season of an Elvis TV show, and we're just going to follow him around. Because this movie was trying to be Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't Forrest Gump.
0: Well, it goes back to what you said about Tick, Tick, Boom, how it focuses on one singular character and that per, like point of time. And I feel like they should have just kind of explained... I mean, I, I get the whole trying to form... We, we need to see their relationship formed, Tom Parker and Elvis's, but like... Maybe in in between that, and then like I I don't know like or maybe even before Elvis died, just something that kind of correspond because at the beginning of the movie, Tom Parker's like people think I killed Elvis, and here you know we have this whole entire drawn out story, and in the end, I mean it does I don't know what you think, Mike, but it kind of leaves it open ended. You can just make a judgment for yourself.
1: Uh, well, he, Tom Parker just kind of look at the camera at one point and say, you guys killed Elvis. It was every one of us. Every one of us wanted a piece of him. We all wanted something from him. You know, Tom Parker wanted all, uh, his money, and then his his family wanted to be supported by him, and then all of his fans wanted a piece of him, and the producers wanted this out of his music, and uh, all, all the women in his life wanted something from him. So yeah. uh, they kind of the movie kind of holds us accountable for that
0: yeah um austin butler plays elvis and i feel like he did an excellent job with the material he had and i asked mike i'm like Do you, is that really his singing voice and yeah he actually sings unlike um because i know in bohemian rhapsody rami malik he lip syncs to someone else singing so that was really cool to see like an actor actually singing and giving that medium out too as well as acting um just didn't like the spray tan I think he had. <laughs> but I mean, people are just so crazy for Elvis. I remember working retail. I had a customer who was always decked out in Elvis. Like, an, she had like an Elvis shirt, Elvis purse, Elvis earrings. Like, you know, his legacy will always live on. And I just, I hope he doesn't get lost in the modern. Today, I mean, he is classic and all of his songs are classic. And I know like a lot of artists remake his music. I think I have like three renditions of Can't Help Falling in Love with You. (laughs) But yeah. And
1: how many songs did Elvis cover of other artists in this movie? Quite a few, right? Quite a
0: few. Yeah, I I didn't know that either. I didn't know Hound Dog wasn't his original or uh, his other music. And it's interesting because he got this influence from southern black communities and i really respected that and how he just he cared so much about where he came from and his roots and he represented that piece of like music and culture so yeah,
1: yeah they framed him very much as like a progressive ahead of his time thinker about his like fellowship of martin luther king and mm-hmm is his uh, relationship with, with the Kennedys. So, yeah, he was very much a forward thinker.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I never realized, like, how smart and on the money he always was. Like, but he just, he loved performing. And we see that in the movie. I thought Austin Butler did a fantastic job portraying how much Elvis loved the stage and loved performing overall. And that was his life. And ultimately, you know, that led to his death. So, but again, overall, if you, I know Elvis fans love this movie, and especially on IMDb, you have a seven and a half out of ten rating. So, Elvis is great, and you know, it makes you really want to go back and see what he was up to throughout his life. I know me, I that's what I did because I again I didn't know anything in this movie. You know, it's not a great Elvis biography, but for someone who doesn't know, it's a great, like, introduction, right? Elvis 101. It. Yeah. So.
1: Can we just talk about how big of a nerd Elvis was for, like, comic <laughs> books? Because you were watching the movie, and they kept on talking about Captain Marvel. And you're like, Brie Larson? What? Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's Shazam. And then Captain Marvel Jr. is Elvis' favorite, and that's actually um, Freddy from the movie, Uh, shazam so yeah like look at elvis look at his hair look at the capes look at the jumpsuits it's all very much superhero inspired
0: yeah that was so interesting when you pointed that out mike how yeah you brought up like an image of captain marvel jr and you're like okay look at this and look at elvis can you see the comparison so (laughs) i think elvis earned your respect in that regard mike (laughs) Elvis is now streaming on HBO Max. I think it's still playing in some select theaters. I'm not quite sure on that though, but we streamed it on HBO. But yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Again, really appreciate you guys tuning in and we will talk to you next time.